Hello and welcome to Through the Telescope, the podcast that puts the lens on astronomy. I'm Rose Waugh and I'm an astrophysicist and science communicator. And I'm Elliot Bruce and I'm neither of those things, but I'll be trying to find out why we should even care about astronomy. We'll be exploring some of the big topics in the field in little manageable pieces and have some fun along the way. So, whether you know your red lines from your red shifts, or you're not quite sure what the difference between astronomy and astrology actually is, join us as we launch ourselves into the cosmos and try not to burn up on re-entry. Through the Telescope is sponsored by PicAstro, the astronomy and astrophotography image sharing app, dedicated to your images of the cosmos no matter what stage you are on your journey around the universe. No ads, spam or fake accounts. So, Rose, today we're talking about observing the night sky without a telescope. We are indeed. So... When I'm picturing people observing things in the sky, they definitely got a telescope. Why do we not need a telescope? Well, having a telescope is definitely going to increase what you can see in the night sky. And a lot of people, once they get into astronomy, after a while, they definitely um, attempt it, I think, to, to purchase a small telescope. Or a good pair of binoculars. Um, also will do the trick in many, many cases. But they're not a requirement, right? Um, humans have looked up at the night sky and been impressed and in awe of what they can see for, you know, as long as we can remember. But they didn't have telescopes until pretty recently. You know, actually, um, related to that, right, sorry for jumping in here, but... I went out last night okay, mm-hmm. after our episode on galaxies, which if you've not listened to, you should go back and listen to. Um, and I was thinking, is that the Milky Way up there? Because it's like kind of white-ish, like a sort of smudge. Mm-hmm. And then I realised it was just um, just a cloud. Oh, uh, tragic. Yeah. yeah, clouds are the bane of astronomers' lives. Yes. Unless you're into radio astronomy then it's not so much of a problem. But, yeah. But, yeah, I know what you mean. Like, even just, like, going outside, having a look up at the sky, um, it it's pretty awe-inspiring. Yeah. Also, going back to what you just said about the Milky Way, a little fact-check on the previous episode. Right. Um, all the stars that you can see in the night, st- mm. night sky are indeed in the Milky Way. <sighs> so, nice. we've cleared that one up. Okay. Yeah. And I can observe these stars without a telescope. Yeah, you can. Saying. Yeah, of course you can. You can just you can just go outside, assuming that it's not cloudy. And not daytime. And and not daytime. And assuming that you have dark enough skies with, you know, the less light pollution you have, the better. Right. Um, uh, and that definitely is helpful in allowing our naked eye to, to pick out a lot of things that otherwise we might miss. So um, when you say light pollution, um, I guess when I am outside and I'm looking up at the sky and there's like a big bright light near my face, I can't really see much, um, including the sky. Blinded Um, by the light. Exactly. Um, 
but that's not all that is like pollution, right? There's also like just sort of quite distant but bright lights, like a city. Yeah. So if you happen to find yourself in a place where you can maybe, you know, it's quite easy from the highlands of Scotland, but it's definitely visible from other places. If you find yourself on a hill or something and you look in the direction of a city, you can see that there's a lot of light pollution that you maybe don't necessarily notice. Even even a town, you know, it doesn't have to be very big to to cause the light pollution. Whereas if you look in the opposite direction, where there hopefully isn't a town, or at least not in this mm. story, then everything is a lot darker. And your view of the night sky is dramatically increased. So yeah, towns and cities definitely create a lot of light pollution. Um, but but the moon as well, a full moon. I do actually, I, I have got a telescope before. I, and I remember as a kid, my dad getting a telescope. And uh, I could not use it at all. It'd be like, I couldn't focus on it. I was looking for things. I'd be like, well, there are some dots there which look like dots. Um, you know, uh, I could find the moon, but that was Good about job. it, uh, really. So I'm not going to get a job as an observational astronomer anytime soon, I don't think. Yeah, they're, they're a bit, they can be a bit tricky to, mm-hmm. to um, navigate and, and use. And if, like me, you uh, get cold fingers quite easily, that's not necessarily <laughs> particularly enjoyable. But um, some are easier than others, for sure. Mm. But... Yeah, and some are quite bulky as well, so they can be quite challenging to just kind of log about or or whatever. I mean, they're fantastic. Don't get me wrong. I'm not I'm not um, hating on telescopes, but yeah, it's not always as like maybe romantic. <laughs> yeah, I think that's it. You're like, oh, I'm going to get a telescope and I'll be able to look at the stars, and then you start doing it. And you're like, I'm just getting, I'm straining my eyes now. Yeah, and I'm really cold and the clouds are here. It's so weather dependent. It is so, and I think a lot of amateur astronomers probably, they understand that the pain or disappointment in my voice there is so, so dependent on the weather. Not to say it's not worth it, because sometimes that means it's more worth it when you've had to wait, you know, so long. But it's, it can be a frustrating hobby. And if you've ever seen the BBC show The Sky at Night, which I've only caught a couple of now and again, um, they, you know, they have like a sort of bit where they talk in a studio and they have like filmed segments and it's like, oh, this is nice. And then they go to some guy that's like, I think they're like in a field somewhere outside London and this poor guy is like always outside. It's freezing cold and he's like surrounded by a bunch of... Uh, amateur astronomers all with their telescopes and he says yeah well we're out here but still no sign of anything just yet um the clouds are above us so but we're still going to hang around for another couple of hours just in case we might see something yeah. and i feel like that was ev- i mean i've only seen like three episodes so maybe they were just you like poor sampling more. but um, you definitely need to watch more but i always felt so sorry for that guy <laughs> Yeah. Uh, but if I am able to, if there's no clouds and we've got relatively good light pollution or 
you know. Or lack of. Lack thereof. Yes. Uh, what, what can I see apart from the moon? Because I can pinpoint that one myself. Good job. Yeah, I'm glad that you can identify the moon. Mm-hmm. Um, well, the, quite a lot of the planets in the solar system. Okay. So the five brightest planets are Mercury, Venus, Mars, Jupiter and Saturn. Maybe not unsurprising. The the ones that are further out are dimmer, so they can be more difficult to spot. But you can you can see the planets, not generally not all at once. <laughs> right. So we've got so that's five. We're a sixth one. We can't see ourselves in the sky. Um, not in the sky, but you can definitely can see down. Earth. <laughs> can look down. Um, so that leaves two more because we don't like Pluto anymore. So that's which was which are the Uranus and Neptune. Those are the two we can't see? Yes. Yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah, so far away. Not bright enough. So, so yeah, you can spot them. Mercury can be a bit tricky because its orbit is so close to the sun. Mm. So it makes it a bit difficult to spot. Um, so the glare of the sun, you know, you're generally going to see it as the sun is rising or setting and the glare of the sun also can can hide it from view so yeah mercury can be tricky um but but it can be seen um and jupiter and saturn are both you know close enough to be bright and big enough i suppose um but they're far away enough that they always kind of stay a similar brightness okay so um, as the planets orbit the sun, they can be, you know, pretty close to us, or they could be very far away when they're on the opposite side of the sun. Right, yes. And for Jupiter and Saturn, this difference doesn't really make that much of a, a difference to what we would see in the night sky. But for Mars, for example, when it's um, on the opposite side of the sun to us, that's considerably further away from us than if it was on the same side. Yeah. As Oz. So the brightness of Mars can change quite a lot in the night sky depending on its orbit relative to ours. And if you live somewhere with extremely dark skies and no light pollution <laughs> from from humans or, or the moon, then you might be able to see Uranus okay. um, by eye. But it's going to be a very dim point. For most of us, it's not right. really realistic. So, um, but you're never going to see Neptune. Sorry. So, isn't Uranus like people? At least people in the West or whatever didn't know that it existed until quite recently, right? Like, it's, yeah, it's not Georgium Sidus. So, so when yeah. was that like 1700s or something, um, or early the 1800s? George planet. Yeah. So. I guess what I'm wondering is if you can see Uranus but only if you've got the best conditions, is that a case of all of these astronomer types, these astronomer royals and such like are in like London or Rome or somewhere, you know, with with their telescopes um, and it's not dark enough? Or is it that you can only really see it easily if you if you know where to look? Do you know what I mean? Uh, yeah, I don't know. Because why didn't they just send, like, some astronomer to, like, an island in the middle of nowhere and be like, look at the sky and work it out? And I guess they had to look for a planet in the first place, but... Work what out? 
Just, yeah, just do your job. You need to look at the sky. Don't be in, like, London or wherever. Like, go and live on, like... Yeah, I mean, I think there were definitely, you know, astronomers going to and sent to um, places with dark skies. Um, But, yeah, I think, like many areas of science, astronomy for a long time was you know like a gentleman's science right yeah and they want their nice townhouses yeah um, and not, not obviously not every astronomer f- from history has been necessarily fitting into that category but yeah but it's in hard the West, to be a, a lot of people i think probably did so yeah it's hard to be a goat know. herd that gets famous for discovering a planet or whatever mm. kind of thing but no neptune no neptune no, no. neptune um well Paul Neptune. That is, that is pretty sad. And no Pluto, who is not a planet, but, um, yeah. So you told me I can see these planets, right? But I'm guessing I've never really noticed a giant ball with, like, rings going around it, for instance. Mm. So what, what do these actually look like, and why are they not just, I don't know, what makes them different from, like, a star or... So if you're observing with a telescope, then you're going to see beautiful rings around Saturn and, you know, the red spot of Jupiter. Um, well, I mean, it's going to depend on your telescope setup, but, but they're, they're options, right? right? Things that you might, you, you might see, depending on how good your telescope is. Mm. Um, but... You're not going to see that with your naked eye, right? <laughs> You're not going to be like, "Oh, that one clearly looks like Saturn. That's definitely Saturn. It's got a ring around it." Which I think that's how most people would identify Saturn. Stars and the night sky twinkle, which is not actually due to the star; it's due to our atmosphere. But right, um, if you're looking up into the sky, then you'll see stars twinkling. Planets do not twinkle. So something that's not twinkling is going to give you an indication that it's a planet. And you can kind of also tell by the colour sometimes. Okay. So most stars in the night sky look white. I think we can probably all agree. Yeah. <laughs> there are a few examples of things like red giants, like Betelgeuse, very famous. Yeah, there's a um, movie about that. Yeah, one of my favourites. Um, but, I, yeah, most most of the time they're white, right? If you <laughs> if you spotted Mercury or Venus, then they're also white, the naked eye. Right, so they're not really... But Mars is kind of like a reddy orange. Okay. Um, I could say kind of, because different people have different interpretations. <laughs> okay. Um, so it's not like it I changes sometimes. I see it as quite reddy. Okay, yeah. Um, but other people see it as like lighter colours. Right, um, Okay. So, so not to name drop, but I was listening to Chris Lintott's new podcast. Right, and he is on the, the sky day. at night. He is on the sky at night. Um, yeah, I saw him once in, in my physics department and I totally fangirled. Yeah. So why are you mentioning He also added other... me, uh, at, not added, but like replied to my, my tweet once and I like couldn't cope. Why are you mentioning other anyway. podcasts after a podcast? <laughs> other podcasts are available. My point is... He said that he sees it as like a, like a more of a salmony colour, which okay. is quite different from the red that I see. 
So there is variation. Right. But it's, it's on the red end of the spectrum. Salmon is a particular... Right. Yeah. Um, Jupiter is kind of like a tanny colour. R- right. So uh, uh, t- to me, tanny is kind of reddy orange. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, I suppose. I kind of think of tanny as more... Brown? Kind of yellow than okay. red. Which is kind of how I would see a salmon... But, you know, anyway, we don't... Is Jupiter (laughs) brighter than Mars, then? Um, You know, I couldn't tell you the numbers, but it always looks it. Mars's brightness does vary quite a lot, so maybe Mm. it depends, I'm not sure. Okay. And Saturn is yellowish. Right. So you can kind of distinguish in some way by colour as well, but not not by colour alone. So I saw a red thing... Because uh, when I was outside looking at what turned out to be a cloud, I also saw a red um, dot, right. which you, you please know wasn't twinkling, so right. not a star. Was wasn't it moving? moving, so it wasn't a plane. <laughs> not an aeroplane. Also wasn't flashing, so not a plane. Um, so is that Mars then? Or is that um, Jupiter? Well, it, it could be Mars. It could have been like Betelgeuse or something. I'm not sure. But I imagine... I know you're not an astronomer, but I would like to think that you can identify Betelgeuse. Um, that is in Orion. Yeah. I did not see... I know what Orion looks like. Um, it's yeah. It's like a, an hourglass, right? Yeah. So it was not that, I don't think. I think it was on its own. Hmm. Possibly. So I possibly saw Mars. Maybe. Possibly. You can also check on things like um, Stellarium or presumably other apps slash websites are available. <laughs> but they show you like the um, like the night sky mm. and um, you can... They're quite immersive. I really enjoy it anyway. And you can... You, on some of these sites you can kind of like go back in time to like various points and see what the night sky would have looked like. But, you know, you can get apps like that and they can tell you exactly what you're looking at. Like how? Right. So, so you can be like, oh, when you is say, that Mars? And it'll be like, yes. Or no. You know what I mean? Yeah. When you say go back in time... Well, it doesn't send you back in time. It shows well, you the well, night sky. <laughs> I, did, I didn't think you were like, you can download an app and it's a time machine. Um, <laughs> surprisingly enough. Right, but the sky was different. Yes. When? Um, well, in some senses, it was different yesterday. Oh. I but, mean, but, the constellations are the same as yesterday. But, but actually... But the the planets move, right? Right, yeah. That, so okay, so yeah. they move a lot. Right, yeah. Um, okay. And the moon changes. Stuff like that. If you go back, I don't know, a long time... Mm. Then you find that the constellations also look different, and that's why they used to look like actual pictures of things. No, I don't think so. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, 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 I wouldn't put money on that one. <laughs> okay. How far back do we need to go? A long time. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how long it takes for the night sky to evolve significantly for you to be for it to be very unrecognisable to you. You know what I mean. So that was planets, but what what else am I able to see? 
We've got the Milky Way, planets, some random stars. Yeah. Um, you can you can spot some galaxies, as we talked about in the last episode. You could spot um, Andromeda. Uh, if you're in the Southern Hemisphere, you could spot the small and large Magellanic clouds. Um, you could spot constellations. Uh, you know, there's loads of things you could spot. Um, Have you got a favourite constellation? Um, yeah, the Orion constellation. I like Orion too. I love Orion. It's got Betelgeuse. Mm. Um, it's just generally like a pretty funky shape. It's got a nebula that you can see. Uh, you can spot that with your naked eye as well if you live in a dark enough place. It kind of looks like a sword hanging from his belt. Um, so if you find the three the three dots, mm. the three stars of his belt, there's like a kind of a fuzzy patch. Mm. It's the Orion Nebula. It looks like a sword. Can you can you guess what my top top three constellations are? I think they might be the only three that I know. That you so, know, okay. That so should that narrows it down. So Orion. Orion, yeah. Uh, Cassiopeia. Yeah, or Cassiopeia as I'd call yeah, it. Yeah, I know. I, I specifically I chose to pronounce it the other way, just for the variety. Um, Ursa Major? Yes, but actually not really Ursa Major because... Just the plough. Just the plough. <laughs> and I was actually thinking the other day, right? I think, I always thought that Orion was my favourite because it comes out and, you know, during the winter time in the Northern Hemisphere, you're like, oh, hello, it's winter yeah. time, you know. He watches over hey. you. It's nice. Yeah, and he just kind of starts sort of peeking up a little bit, kind of like yeah. a bit creepy. He's like, sup? Uh, <laughs> just like peeking over and then before you know it, he's like right there in the middle of the sky. But I was actually thinking, you know what, the plough... Mm. Or what? 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 What's the American call it? The Big Dipper. The Big Dipper. Sorry, yeah. can we? Can um, we the Big Dipper. Please big do dipper. not put my awful. No, I'm going to put that in. No, please don't. Yeah. Um, <sighs> would it help if I did one? No. Okay. I won't do one. Don't. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, yeah, because it's just it's there, you know. Yeah. You you look it's up constant. in the sky and you're like, that's the, that's the plan. Hi, Plow. You know, it's like your constant friend. Yeah. Whereas Orion's like in and out, which is nice because it's like more temporal. The seasons are changing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Fair enough. And also Cassiopeia looks like a W. Yeah. So. Pretty easy to spot as well. And out of that comes a woman sitting in a chair. Yeah. So. A queen, specifically. Is it a queen? Is she not a queen? I don't know. <sighs> anyway. Yeah. So that's your favourite constellation. Um, you could also see Pleiades. It's a stellar cluster. Seven Sisters is what it's also called. And what is a stellar... I'm guessing it's a cluster of stars. Yeah. So, so s- stars form in nebula. Right. Or um, hydrogen-dense regions. Right. In space. And... Um, because typically there's a lot of stuff there. It typically makes more than one star. Right. So you will get a cluster of stars. Okay. They're kind of like... You might hear them referred to as like stellar nurseries. 
Are they really close to each other? Obviously not all clusters are are necessarily young now. So are these, sorry, are these clusters like, um, are they like one, like, sort of stellar system? Is it like a sort of seven, I don't know what that would be, a hep, heptonary system? Oh, right. Or is it just like seven, right, but they're vaguely close to each other because they've come out the same dusty area? So, I mean, some of them will be like binaries or potentially tertiary systems, um, which is three stars together in an orbit. But but a lot of them aren't. Um, They're just on their own, but near. But not yeah. near. So we've got stars, yeah, we've got you planets. Yeah, the ISS. I like to see the ISS. Okay. And now it's not, um, you know, it's, it's human-made, so it's not quite the same. But there's something very... I don't know, kind of comforting and inspiring to me about seeing the ISS. And what you can get little, you know, uh, again, apps or, or whatever to give you notifications when it's coming overhead near where you live. What does it look like? Um, it looks like a white dot that moves across the sky pretty quickly, Okay, actually. Pretty quick. So does um, that mean it looks a bit like a sort of a meteor or something? Uh, yeah, kind of, I suppose. And that follows on to, yeah, I was going to say you can also see shooting stars. So, yeah. Which are not stars? No, they're not. Bits of dust and and rock that are in the in the way of Earth as it moves around its orbit. And they burn up as they enter the atmosphere. Well, and that's where life came from. Um, <laughs> some people believe that, yes. You're not one of those people. Do I believe in panspermia? Is that what it's called? I was going to say panspermia, but then I wasn't sure if it was xenospermia. I don't I think, think it's that one. It's definitely pans, anyway. Um, well, I think the the fact that we've put the word believe in there right. probably suggests not. Right. I'm I don't know enough about where life comes from. I think probably most people can say that, but I'm I'm not it's not at all my research area. And so I don't feel like I am someone who is able to make a sensible opinion on on that question. Mm. Maybe. Maybe it did. Um, it kind of seems unlikely to me as an uneducated person in that topic. But well, I think it also just kind of moves the question back, doesn't it? Because you're like, um, where did life come from? Uh, the Earth. Well, what if it didn't come from the Earth? It's like, well, where did it come from then? Yeah. Like, a different Earth? Or, I don't really yeah. know. Yeah, you're just uh, getting stuck in the same... Yeah. Yeah. There's that stuff about finding like amino acids and things on meteorites. Meteorites, meteors. Yeah. Um, um, which is kind of which crazy. is the building blocks of of life, as it's often called. Yeah. Although I do wonder how much of that would survive entering the atmosphere and colliding into the ground, um, for instance. Yeah, I think that kind of thing has been researched, and you probably can find answers to that kind okay. of thing. I suspect 
Uh, it seems obvious, but the answer is probably it depends on how big the rock is. Mm. So it needs, probably needs to be big enough mm. so that some of it survives. Uh, but small enough to not completely destroy a planet. <laughs> right, yeah. Probably. That's probably quite important. I don't know. Oh. Interesting question, though. You get showers of meteors, don't you? Yes. You can You can <clears throat> possibly, see quite a few. Possibly more commonly known as a meteor shower. Um, <laughs> meteor shower, yes. Are they different times? Because I feel like I always hear, oh, and now there's the... Meteor shower next week or something. Yeah, there are about thirty or so spread out throughout the year. <sighs> That's like one every like two weeks. Um, yeah, yeah, it is. It sounds, <laughs> it sounds like a lot, but um, some are significantly more spectacular than others. Okay. Um. So earlier this month in January, we just had the quadrantids. Apologies if you listen to this episode not in January. Yes, well, that was why I specified the month. But yes, uh, that's quite a big one. Quadrantids is not the best name. No, I'm going to tell you about a couple more and you can see if you can guess why right, right. it's called that. It was um, for something, is the, it? The Lyrids are in April. Right. And... The uh, the eater aquarids. Right. <laughs> you are getting to see how awful my pronunciation is now. Uh, are in May, and the alpha alpha capricornids. Right. Okay. And the delta aquarids are in July, and they're all pretty small. Right. So I'm guessing that I don't know what the the Greek letters are doing, but aquarids sounds like it's going to be. Aquarius mm-hmm. and Capricornids mm-hmm. sounds suspiciously like it's Sagittarius. <laughs> what what's the Greek letters do? I, I'm not sure what the Greek <laughs> letters do. I think it's more to do with the the section right, of the constellation. Okay. okay. So yeah, if if, if uh, our listeners or you had not yet gathered, they're all named after the constellation that you will see them in. Right. Okay. Um. Which is quite helpful because if you helpful. if you know your constellations and you hear, oh, the Persids are in happening in August, then uh, you know where to look. So that's where they come from. But they they the constellations well, they don't, take up a small bit of the sky. They don't come from the stars in that constellation, but they will pass through that um, constellation. Thank you. If that makes sense, so it's so they. That's where it looks like they start from. You know what I? I heard a thing. Sense. Yes. Yeah. Um, so you know star signs. Yes. Because um, this is <laughs> this is relevant. Um, so. Um, so we're talking about astrology. Yeah. Now. Yeah. Right, okay. it's, it's similar, right? So. They've got some letters in common. So if you're born in something and you, you've got the you're you're an aquarius right i'm not i'm actually a capricorn well i can see that from your temperament <laughs> um so you're a capricorn right um your the constellation capricorn mm-hmm. is on the other side of the world 
Yeah. I would have thought you're going to name it after something that is directly above you in the night sky or something, as opposed to the complete opposite side. Yeah, but also not the complete opposite side, because it's also, like, out of sync. Right. Um, Well. Because the constellations move. Right. Um, Yeah, are you asking me to try and rationalise astrology? To be honest, I think I'm just having a rant about it. Okay. I'm not sure I can help you here. Well, no, <laughs> just uh, listening, having having being, a space to a, vent. Yeah. Yes, a friendly ear. <laughs> um, um, so there's also the Draconids, Orionids. Wait, I think is that the Draconids because they sound cool. Yeah. They 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 got their PR from the sorted. Draco constellation. Okay. Um, the Taurids in October. Okay. If you're in the southern hemisphere or in the uh, in the northern hemisphere, they happen in November. Right, okay. Uh, the Leonids in November. Okay. And they're again pretty small, those ones. Uh, the Geminids you probably heard of in December, they're very big. Uh, Geminid, meteor shower. Maybe, I've, I think I, I've heard of the Perseid. Mm-hmm, yeah. One. I'm not sure about the Geminids. Um. There's also um, Ursids. Right. In December, they're pretty small. Do they come from by the Geminids? Do they come from Ursa Major or Ursa Minor? I couldn't tell you. Possibly both. <laughs> okay. I don't think their their peak is very high. So all all the dates that I gave of of this year for twenty twenty three, it does change a little bit. Okay. Um, but um, they that's when the peak is. So it's not. There'll be a. A range of a few weeks in which you can see the meteor shower and they'll have a peak predicted on a certain, you know, few days. And how do they predict that peak? Where, where are they actually coming from? Do you know, like, because they're not coming from Earth's major or minor. They're, they're coming from space nearby. But yeah. where are they coming from and how can you actually say, hey, it's going to be December on the 15th or something? Um... Well, I don't run the simulations, but the, there are bits of space rock and dust in our orbit as we go around. Right. And um, presumably we'd know where they are because we've been... We've been around it a few times. Around it a few times and we've been caring about meteor showers for a long time. So we can predict when they're going to be and we're going to reach them. And... Um, we can predict how much stuff you're probably going to see based on how much stuff is there, I think. Right, so the Perseids and the Geminids, that's like some deep... Like that's We're wading through, like, thick space. Is that what you're telling me? Yeah, I guess so. Jeez. So if you look them up, they often will tell you, like, a... I don't know if it has a name, but they'll give a prediction on, like, however many um, per hour. Jeez. And for some of the big ones, it's like, you know, like 150 per hour, you know. And then some of the small ones, it'll be like five an hour at its peak. So you mentioned some of the northern and the southern hemisphere at different times. So can you see all of these in both hemispheres or at different times? Or are some of them stuck to the, well, actually, do all of these constellations appear in the... Is that the important bit? Do you need to know whether you can see Capricorn or not? Yeah. 
So these mostly northern hemisphere because yeah, I think that's so. how science is dominated. Um, that is how science is dominated. Yes, but um, also I am in the northern hemisphere. You are. So when I went to find a list of when they are this year, right? Um, I got this list from the Royal Observatory, Royal Observatory in Greenwich. Right. And they weren't that interested in people that might be listening in Madagascar or Bolivia? Presumably not. I'm not I don't know. I guess a lot of the people that they communicate with are in the Northern Hemisphere and specifically in Britain, probably. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's, that's more fair when it's like a, the Royal Observatory or whatever talking to... The, um, you know, the nation at large, but, uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe we could find when some of the Southern Hemisphere ones are, put it in the the notes for the podcast, yeah. the show notes. Yeah, which we Sorry need to get around to. Sorry for the clinking of my tea. Yeah, that's probably going to show up. That's okay. I think people podcast. can appreciate tea. I think having a hot beverage is a very astronomy thing, in a way, you know? Yeah. I think hot chocolate is the preferred drink, which is... Uh, I think we've already established that we're not, not really that keen on hot chocolate as a beverage. Well, so we've gone through, what, planets, stars and constellations, um, little stellar clusters, meteor showers. Uh, have I missed another? Oh, the ISS. Yeah, got a little shout out there. Yeah. That's Beep. Think about everything Beep. we talked about. So I am quite excited about this part two because I think it's really cool. I can't believe I'd never heard of them. So, yeah, so it turns out we we all know what a constellation is, right? It's um, It's a bunch of stars that you make a... You draw some lines between them, and then it turns out that's a crab, apparently. And away you go. Fine. But it turns out you also get dark cloud constellations, which are pretty cool. Um, So the idea behind these is that you get... Whilst in the previous episode we talked about the um, white splodge that is the Milky Way, you actually get some dark patches within that. You get variations. Yeah. And so instead of sort of drawing or seeing shapes within the dot-to-dot picture, like you're a five-year-old, you uh, actually look at the shape of the dark patches within the um, the white sort of background of the Milky Way. Uh, and this is apparently particularly possible in the Southern Hemisphere for astronomy reasons. Oh, they have better skies. Yeah. Um, now, I have heard of one of these before, um, which is the emu. Yes. Which I think it's, it's I think it's from Australia? I think it's Indigenous Australian. Um, and so what you can see if you look for the emu constellation is actually you can draw an emu from the dark lines of cloud within the Milky Way. No yeah. no stars included. Um, and it's not just indigenous Australians that have done this. Um, 
also been seen by the Inca. Um, so there's a quite nice one, which I'm not sure if it's actually the same spot as the emu or if it's a different spot. Um, but there's a llama. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just, um, I don't know, it's just kind of nice... It's there a nice are, symmetry. Yeah, there's there's a lot of stuff to see in the sky and it doesn't just have to be a dots. And to be honest, I can way more see a shape here than a random dot to dot which has no bearing on yes. a picture. Yeah, I um, mean, I'm going to be honest. The emu doesn't look much like an emu to me and I could equally see it being a llama. But <laughs> it has got that kind of shape to it. Mm-hmm. Um, it turns out there is more similarity in shape between an emu and a llama than I might have originally thought if you just, you know, stopped me in the street and told me that. Um, Yeah, I guess... But there is a lot... It looks much more clearly like an emu or a llama than any of the constellations that are, you know, dot-to-dot style. Yeah. That that don't. Uh, Okay, I mean, the plough looks pretty accurate to its name, I suppose, but... Most of the others don't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And there's just something very, like you say, there's something very lovely about it, you know, just that it's appreciating all bits of the night sky. Yeah. 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 I think that's the, there's, you don't just have to look at stars or even like nebulae or whatever, smudges. Yeah. Nothing. There's a lot of beauty and patterns that you can see in all parts of the sky. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I suppose it's all it's all about the contrast, isn't it? In some bits of the sky, it's very dark except for a few stars, and so that's where you find your picture. Whereas if you're looking more into the part of the sky that contains the the Milky Way, kind of the the obvious bulge of the Milky Way, the milky bit, if you like, mm. then the contrast comes from the dark bits. Yeah. That's that's the different bit. I think also, like, the Milky Way look, looks pretty cool. Yeah. Whereas stars are just dots at the end of the day. Like, if you look at the Horsehead Nebula or something like that, or the Crab Nebula, mm. it's all, like, the sort of cloudy, swirly, like... The dust. Yeah, it's that looks cool, like super cool. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's going to be on an astro calendar. Because, you know, dust is like the bane of your life when you're a scientist, as an astronomer anyway. You don't just need to be an astronomer to hate dust. (laughs) In my professional life, it gives me the heebie-jeebies. Yeah. And in my personal life, I just don't like it. (laughs) Fair. Well, at least you're not allergic, but yeah. that's true. But yeah, these dark cloud constellations are within the Great Rift, mm-hmm. which sounds cool. Yeah, um, it's a great name, isn't it? Yeah. Um, apparently, the Greeks that they've got their noses in everything, aren't they? Um, mm-hmm. The ancient Greeks, um, they also were able to see the Great Rift and say, "Oh." There's some dark bits, but they didn't mention 
any animals. I, I'm not surprised that they didn't mention emus or llamas, given that they're not yes. native to Greece. Um, we can forgive them for that, but forgive them for that. They didn't. They didn't make beautiful pictures in the sky out of them. They yeah. just noticed that it's there. They missed a trick. Yeah, but it's definitely worth having a look at some of the images because they are like nice and they do actually look like things I think yeah dark cloud constellations it's not just bright spot constellations so as usual feel free to contact us on social media share your favorite constellation or dark cloud constellation with us and uh, we'll see you next time So that just about wraps things up for this episode. Please, can we encourage you to subscribe to Through the Telescope wherever you find your podcasts, and if you like, you can leave us a nice positive review as well. It really helps the show, and it makes it easier for more people to find us. Feel free to send us any comments, questions, or suggestions of things or people you'd like to hear about or from in future episodes. Or perhaps to put yourself forward to chat about your own astro research or experiences. As always, you can find us on Instagram at Through the Telescope Podcast, or you can find me at astrophysicist underscore rose. You can also find us on Twitter at The Telescope Pod, and you can contact us by email at Through the Telescope Podcast at gmail.com. And with that, we'd like to thank you very much for listening, and we look forward to seeing you again next time. Bye. Bye.